I'm Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors here, and today we're in week two of a series we started last week on grace. And so we thought, what better way to start off a new year uh, than to talk about, I think, one of the most important concepts in the Bible, one of the most important concepts in Christianity. So we're talking about the concept of grace. It's, the series title is Help Wanted, God's Grace is the Help You Need. And so uh, if you have Bibles, you can open them up today. If you have a Bible app, you can go to events on the Bible app and you can find our notes uh, there as well. If you grabbed a sheet on your way in, you're ready. And then finally, if you go on to PursueGod.org, you can find today's topic there. We have a short, a kind of a small group, family version of this topic that summarizes what we're talking about because we, we believe in, uh, in you know, God's word, but we feel real strongly here at Alpine uh, that the best way to unpack God's word is actually not just by sitting there listening to a sermon, it's by talking about it with someone in your world. So that might be a mentor. If you need a mentor, we, Pastor John can get you connected. You can use your welcome card to request a mentor. Some of you are in small groups. This is a great conversation to have in your small groups. Because I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times, if I'm listening to a great message um, and I'm, you know, God's speaking through the message, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the Word of God, I'm listening to the stories and the ideas, and I'm processing this, but I'm a, in my head I'm processing this, but I'm a verbal processor. Like, I need to be able to in, engage and interact, and we don't do that here during the sermon time. So I apologize if you raise your hand this morning to the, during the sermon. I'm not going to call on you. This is not a small group. So, so for some of you, like, bummer, I would really like to be able to do that. Well, that's not what we do. So in this format, in a preaching format, it's an opportunity for 20 or 30 minutes to share what God's Word says about grace. But if you're like me, you're going to want to unpack this. The real life change happens when you unpack this with someone in your world that you care about, um, that can help you, help you understand what we're, what we're talking about. And like I said, grace is so important. This is so worth talking about beyond today's sermon. So I hope as we open God's word, as we dig into some of the talking points today, I hope it inspires you to have this conversation. If you go to PursueGod.org, there's discussion questions there, and you can find those resources. In fact, I drove up this morning with a good friend of mine, a, a, a guy that I mentor uh, down where I live in, in the Ogden area, and we, for, in, for an hour drive on the way up, we talked about today's sermon. So I don't usually get to do that. I don't usually get to talk about it ahead of preaching it. It was great to start to process some of these ideas. And so I hope that, not, that God would speak to you today even as I just shared his word. But, but even more than that, I hope that you would take this. And, um, and when you go to Angie's later on, you know, for breakfast, I hope that you would unpack it together. Pull your phone out pull the sheet out and talk about this. If your parents, if you, have, if you are a parent, if you have kids, talk about this with your kids. Today's topic is one that my kids need to talk about. I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son, and this is one I want them to know. Because last week, we talked about how we start in grace. And so last week, we talked about this idea of grace. Grace is just God's gift that he asks for nothing in return. This is what grace is. Grace is a gift, and as soon as you try to pay for it, it's not a gift anymore, right? My daughter, we bought her an iPhone 11. Apparently, we do that. 
I didn't realize that we do this. She had an iPhone 8, a perfectly fine iPhone 8, but the screen was broken. And so my wife is compassionate and gracious. And, and Kenzie said, I, I'd love an iPhone 11 for Christmas. And, I, and, I'm, and when Tracy told me, my wife told me, I said, so how much is she going to pay for of that? Like, really? We're going to buy an iPhone 11 for? She's like, well, her screen is broken on her iPhone 8. And of course, what did I say to that? Fix the screen. Thank you. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Like, fix the screen. And so she said, well, we are going to fix the screen. But she still wants an iPhone 11. And so here's what I said. I'm just confessing right now. Some of you maybe can relate to this. I, I said, how much is she going to pay for that? And my, my wife's response was, well, then it wouldn't be a gift anymore, would it? <laughs> well, then that's true which I was okay with. I was okay with it not being a gift. <laughs> that was my point, right? But some of us approach God like that. We approach God by, by saying, I want to earn this. Some of you, maybe you grew up in a, with an understanding, or maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is a church you grew up in, or maybe this is a parents that you had, and look, trust me, I am... I am all about teaching my kids to work hard. Diligence is one of our number one things we try to teach our kids. By the grace of God, they're diligent kids. That's great. They work hard in school, in sports, and everything. And I am all about working hard. But I want you to hear this. This was last week's message. You can't work hard for your salvation. That's the scandal of grace. That was last week. Is that we start by grace. 100 percent grace. If you are a follower of Jesus today, it is because of the grace of God, the math is really easy, it is because of the grace of God 100%. It is not like, uh, like the iPhone I wanted to give my daughter that you know, we'd, go ha- we'd go half and half with her. Some of you might be like, that's how I view my relationship with God, is I come to the table with every, I empty my pockets out, and I give them all of my righteousness, all of my goodness, all of my good intentions, all of my good works, and then whatever, whatever I'm lacking, he pays, he pays the rest of it off. That's what, that's what some people understand when they, th- when they think about starting a relationship with God. I want you to know God's word makes it so clear that is not how it works. The Bible says that we are bankrupt. The Bible says that if we try to empty our pockets out, we'll find lint and maybe a button in there. Like there's nothing in there. We have nothing to offer. And so that was last week. If you're here today and you missed that, you can still find that online. But last week we talked about the the scandal of grace. And I know some people just have a hard time with that. And probably you have a hard time with that if you feel like you've got something to offer. And so then you're far away, further away from the kingdom of God than you realize because you have nothing to offer. You, you, have, you have to start by grace, period. 100% gift. That was last week. And today's message is kind of the natural next question that you have if you're a follower of Jesus and, and you started by grace. Maybe some of you are here and you say, last week that was good. It was a good reminder for me. That was a good reminder for me that I'm saved by grace, 100% saved by grace. But could we now talk about what happens next as followers of Jesus? Now, now that we're followers of Jesus, now, now we work hard. Now, 
our, our relationship with God has to do with my work and what I offer him and my obedience. In fact, here at Alpine Church, we say the Christian life boils down to three simple, basic things. Number one, we start by trusting Jesus. That was last week's message. We start by trusting Jesus 100%. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that you can't boast about it, right? Number two, though, we say that we live to honor God. And this is something that if you were to grab my kids, they would say, what are the three marks of a Christian? They would say this, we, we trust Jesus, we honor God, and then we help others, we make disciples. My kids understand that, we've taught them this for 10 years. If you're an Alpiner of any length of time, you probably know that as well. So today we're talking about that second thing, so we live to honor God. And some of you might be like, okay, good, now here's where we roll up our sleeves, and now we, now we have something to offer God. Grace has nothing to do with my life. Grace has only to do with my salvation. I'm saved by grace, and everything else is works. Some of you might say, well, yeah, that's, that seems right. I think that's right. Well, that's what we're going to unpack today. Today we're talking about the paradox of grace, help that keeps helping. Here's what I want you to understand. And this is paradoxical. I'm going to read this statement, and my friend Wendy and I unpacked this as we drove up together. And this is, I even confessed to him, I still struggle with this statement. But I'm going to read it to you anyway because I think it's biblical. God doesn't love you more if you obey him. And he doesn't love you less if you don't. That's the paradox. God doesn't love you more if you obey him, and he doesn't love you less if you don't obey him. I think the reason this is so hard for most of us to understand, maybe this is just me. Last week's sermon was easy. This week's sermon, I'll be honest, is hard. I'm still working through this week's sermon. I've been working through it my whole life. I'm still trying to understand, even though I'm going to preach it to you, and I'm going to share where it comes from in the Bible, and I believe it. Don't don't get me wrong. I believe what we're preaching today, but I'm still working through this. Because there's something in me, there's, we were talking, Wendy and I were talking about these two different types of people. I wonder which one you are. It's a great way to understand this is in the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal goes away, he just takes his, his father's wealth and his father's gifts and his father's grace for granted and he goes away and he squanders it all if you know the story the prodigal son and he finally comes to his senses and realizes what a moron he is and he comes back and his father accepts him back and his father throws a big party for him and lavishes even more gifts on his son and there's another guy in the story the older son and the older son never left home the older son was dutiful the older son worked hard the older son didn't get a party thrown for him. And so which person do you relate more to in the story? Some of you are like, oh, I know which one I am. I'm the prodigal, right? Like I'm the one who went away. This message might not be very hard for you if you're a prodigal. This message is going to be heartwarming. Some of you are the dutiful older son. That's me. I'm the dutiful older son. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I've really tried to honor God most of my life, and that's why this message is hard for me. Because I can get, I can get the feeling, I'm just being honest with you today, some of you maybe would say, okay, I, I can relate to this. I get the feeling that God loves me more when I'm obedient to him. And when I'm disobedient to him or I'm struggling and I make some 
bad choices, I kind of get the feeling that he doesn't love me anymore. And you see what's happening to me there? Is I'm falling for this lie, and I believe it's a lie, I'm falling for this lie that God loves me more when I obey him and he loves me less when I don't obey him. Therefore, God's love for me is dependent on me. God's love for me. So I start by grace, pure gift, but I've got to to maintain my relationship with God by my works. And I think maybe the reason we think this way is because some of us, let's be honest parents, some of us feel that way a little bit with our kids. I love when my kids are obedient to me. And it drives me crazy when they're disobedient to me. Now, I know I'm not supposed to say I love them less. I just admitted, though, I'm still working through this. When my kids are disobedient, I'm not really sure. I'm not perfect like God the Father is perfect. And I think that's the, that's the point, is, is we, put, we put our relationship with God through the lens of our relationship with our parents so if you've had parents that treated you like this, maybe you're the favorite or, or maybe someone else is the favorite in your family, and, it, and so you've worked hard for the approval of your parents, you've worked hard for your parents to love you, maybe you have imperfect parents like everyone else on earth, and so because of that, you've been trained to think that this isn't true, that God, there's no way that a parent could, could love their child whether their child is obedient or not. There's just no way. You're... My, my mom's or my dad's love for me has to be contingent upon my effort, my work, my obedience. That's how, the, that's how the world works. And if you're a parent, maybe you would look in the mirror and admit that you're not that far from me either, that you have a little bit of that in you as a parent as well. That there's this, there's this pull to try to guilt and shame our kids into obedience. <laughs> But I want you to know that that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to unpack today. Three things as we unpack this. Number one, here's the first thing. And I don't know if I have, there we go, control of this. Maybe it's just, it lags a little bit, Robert. Okay. You're going to take it. Okay, good. Follow along. Good. Pray for Robert. He's going to have to follow along with the sermon today. Here's the first thing. As, As Christians, we are always dependent on, upon God's gracious help, always. Again, it's not like the rules suddenly change to make our relationship with God merit-based. We said last week, our relationship with God starts by grace, 100% gift, no merit, right? Merit means that I've earned it for myself. No, and, but so many Christians get the idea that now, that now that we've started by grace, now I have to hang on to, I've sort of white-knuckle, hang on to my relationship with God based on my merit. So it wasn't merit, it wasn't works that got me into a relationship with God, but it's works that keep me in a relationship with God. Do you understand that? This isn't true. We are dependent on God's grace from start to finish, from beginning to end. There's no part of our relationship with God that is dependent on our merit. Some of you are like, are you sure that's biblical? Wait, really? Is this, is this really what the Bible says? Let's look at some scripture. We could look at so much, but we've just picked a few out. This first one is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. It says this. Paul, Paul is writing this in Galatians 3. He says, how foolish can you be? 
He's talking to the church in Galatia. He says, after starting your new lives in the Spirit, and the reason he says that is because the gift of God's grace comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who's God himself, he convicts us of our need for him, last week's message. He convicts us of our, of our bankruptcy spiritually. He convicts us of our, of our utter lack of righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And then we, our response to that is, is just, thank you, Jesus, and I turn to you in faith. And by the way, if anyone is here today and you haven't done that, we want to invite you, stick around, but we want, we want to help you make that response of faith. And so that's what Paul's talking about is he's saying we start by the Spirit. Every one, of those, every one of those Christians in Galatia started their relationship with God 2,000 years ago the same way any one of us started our relationship with God. It is by realizing by the Holy Spirit, realizing that we're sinners in need of salvation, and then turning to Jesus in faith and utter dependence on him. Jesus, would you receive me? Would you, would you give me your freedom and your salvation? I accept what you did on the cross. That's what he's talking about in this first part of this verse. He says, you started your lives in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit convicted you and you responded in faith to God's gracious gift. He says, so after starting like this, he says this, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Isn't that how so many people do it? We start, we start by one set of rules, and then all of a sudden the rules change midway. I don't know if any of you watch the NFL or NCAA football, but you know I, I, I enjoy to watch this. But it's getting harder and harder for me to watch football because the rules keep changing. Like, I don't even know what, rule, what the rules are anymore. Like, can you tackle that way or not? Why did that guy just throw a flag at that, on that play and he didn't throw a flag on this other play? And I'm kind of a justice guy. I've realized this about me. Like, I really care about justice. I hate it when things aren't fair. And, and I go crazy watching some of these. Typically, I get a little bit more frustrated when the call goes against my team. I'm going to be honest with you. So I guess it's not all just justice. I wouldn't mind justice being slanted, you know, in my favor, just being honest with you. But I hate it when, it, when the rules change. And I want you to know that in our relationship with God, the rules don't change from step one, starting by faith, to step two, living. The rules don't change after we, like, like there's a certain set of rules that, that, that monitor or that govern our begin, the beginning of our relationship with God, and then now that I've been a Christian for 30 plus years, there, there are different, the, God changed the rules. The rules never change. It is all by grace. And that's what Paul's saying. Why are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Now, if you know Galatians, Paul, Paul's going to unpack some of these concepts for the church in Galatia. And he does say in there that, that we should, we, we should have, have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He talks about these things, but he is so clear with these Christians. He's trying to help them to understand you can't earn your salvation and you can't earn God's approval either. If you're here today and you are like the dutiful older brother, like me, you need to hear this. The rules didn't change. You needed Jesus just as much as the prodigal needed Jesus. 
And you still need Jesus just as much as the prodigal still needs Jesus. This is something I have to remind myself of, even in relationship with my own kids. Even with my kids, I realize, and I have two dutiful kids, and I thank God for that. I have two dutiful kids. But I still, I still have to come to God and say, thank you, Jesus, for giving them grace to be dutiful. Thank you, Jesus, for giving them grace to make honor, God-honoring decisions and they're not perfect, but thank you, Lord God, that they're, that they're really trying to honor you in their life. And I, I don't just thank my kids for that. I don't, just, I don't just praise my kids. You're such good, dutiful kids. I, I, even with my kids, I say, praise God that he's given us, that he's opened our eyes to his grace. And he gives us the ability to be obedient to him. Because we look at some of their friends, and we look at some of my friends' kids, and how they're they're going down some, some of the prodigal roads. And even with my own kids, we, we stop and we praise God for his grace to allow us to live for him. Because that's what it takes. It takes his grace. Here's the next verse. One more verse on this, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. He says this. He says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So think about that. How did you accept Christ Jesus as your Lord? That was last week's message. We accepted him by grace through faith. So what Paul's saying here to the church in Colossae this time is he's saying the same rules that governed your starting in faith, just as you accepted Christ, you accepted him by grace, God's gift, through faith. He says you must continue to follow him in the same way. So the same same principles govern you're following him as, as were the principles that govern your starting off in him. So we start by faith in this incredible, we call it this defining moment of faith when our eyes are open and we receive Jesus. And for some of you, it was a really dramatic moment. That's awesome. For some of you, like me, maybe it happened when you were six years old. It wasn't super dramatic for me as a six-year-old. I didn't have to confess a whole lot of sin as a six-year-old, you know. But it's still, it was still grace. That, that got me saved, as much as it was for my, my uncle who in his 60s, after a life of drunkenness and a, just a horrible prodigal life, he finally had his eyes open and he met Jesus in his 60s. And it was very dramatic and very emotional and it was awesome. For me, it was a six-year-old who opened my eyes to Jesus. For both of us, it was the same amount of grace that we needed to start. And here's the thing, I still need that same grace to live, and so does he. It's not like for me, it's to my credit that I've lived a God-honoring life. It's not like, it's not like it's, I've, I've earned this place in this standing with God, like, like the, older, the dutiful older brother thought, it is still by grace. That's what Paul's saying here. Here's the second thing. Receiving God's grace changes how we think of ourselves. So, so this was the first one, that God, as Christians, we're dependent on his help. Then the second one is this. And again, I apologize, because I can't, I can't, so we're, let's go to the next, the next slide, thanks. <clears throat> Receiving God's grace changes how we think of ourselves. Now we're free to be authentic instead of trying to fake perfection. See, the natural result of the, of the lie 
that my relationship with God is dependent, is dependent on my goodness, the natural result of that in the community of faith, and maybe some of you have experienced this, the natural result of that is you end up with a bunch of people that are trying to fake perfection because they think that God loves them based on how perfect they are. You see this in families. If a kid thinks that the love from his or her parents is only going to come to them based on their work and their effort and their perfection, they're going to try to look perfect. They're going to try to appear perfect. Nobody is perfect, so they're going to have to fake it. So if, be honest with yourself. If, if, you're, if you're trying to earn your standing with God through your duty, through your, you know, your obedience, if you're trying to earn, the natural result of that is you're going to be inauthentic. You're not going to be real. And here's how this works. Here's how fakeness works. This is, this is a bonus for you today. Fakeness works like this. First, first, you fake with people on the outside. You're inauthentic with people on the outside. But over time, you, you end up faking yourself out. At the, be, at the beginning, you recognize, I mean, think about this in your own life, if you've ever tried to put on airs. At the beginning, you recognize that you're not perfect, but you, but you fake it. You fake it so much to try to get other people to see you this way that over time, inevitably, you start seeing yourself this way. And that's, that's called spiritual pride. And maybe you've met someone like this before. I've met people like this before who have faked it so much to try to look because, again, the root of this is they, they think that God would only accept them if they're perfect. They don't recognize that God accepts imperfect people. They don't understand that, that this is just who God is because otherwise he couldn't accept anybody. So we, we depend on God's grace in our, in our living years as we live to honor God. And as, as, we, as we understand that and believe that, which is true, then pretty soon we, we learn how to live authentic lives in front of other people. Instead of faking it, covering up our mistakes, and never being honest, not just with other people, but therefore never being really honest with ourselves. And the result of that is no, we, we ourselves don't grow. The, uh, the other side of that is the person who is comfortable enough in their own skin, they recognize that they're not perfect, that they're not trying to cover up and be someone that they're not around their spouse, around their kids, around their coworkers, around their small group, around their mentor, around their friends. Have you ever met someone like that? Those are the people that we're trying to be. With our kids, Tracy and I, one of the things that we do, and I encourage you parents to do this as well, is we, we teach our kids through modeling to them how to be authentic. So we, we talk, we sit there and we talk about our own hang-ups. We talk about our own insecurities. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't grow up in a family that did this. I grew up in a family, I praise God for my family, but I grew up in a family that we covered up our insecurities. We covered up our, our flaws, right? We swept it all underneath, under the rug. It's just what you do, Right? And when I first met my wife, and that she was more authentic than I was, 
I was trying to appear perfect. I was trying to look perfect. And I wasn't fooling God. Turns out I wasn't even fooling the people around me. But I was doing a pretty good job of fooling myself. So I wasn't being honest with myself. And as a result, when you're not honest with yourself about your flaws, you stay flawed. And so when I met my wife and, 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 I, and I saw how she was, she was able to apologize, it was new. Like she could apologize for her mistakes. Because it turns out when you apologize for your mistake, you're admitting you made a mistake. So that's why I never apologize. Because you're admitting you made a mistake. And I, and I saw how readily she was able to say I'm sorry. And it was, it was really hard for me to say that. And I began to see this authentic person living out this, this unpretentious life. Pretense means you're pretending to be something you're not. And I realized it was like a mirror for me. I realized I was pretending. And it was because I believed that God would only love me and accept me if I was perfect. And it set me free. And some of you are still trying to fake perfection. And you need to be set free. I encourage you to. I love this verse, Romans 8, 1. One of my favorite, I know you're not supposed to have favorite verses, but it's one of my favorite verses. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Man, that can set you free. You don't have to pretend to be perfect. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So stop pretending to be perfect. He's not going to condemn you. Now conviction's a different thing. Conviction is something in your life that the Holy Spirit brings to you so that, so that you can make that course correction in your life. But there's no condemnation. That's different. Guilt and condemnation, there's no room for that in the Christian life. There's no room for guilt and shame and condemnation. But so many Christians don't understand that. And we live trying to fake perfection because we don't understand Romans 8.1. And we don't understand this whole message today. Here's the third thing. Because I know some of you are probably saying, some of you are sitting here saying, okay, but then what you're saying is if, I, if God doesn't care about my obedience, that I'm just going to live this hellish, disobedient life. Well, I didn't say God doesn't care about your obedience. I said he doesn't love you more when you're obedient, and he doesn't love you less when you're disobedient. He still cares about our obedience. He still wants us to be obedient. And so here's the last point, receiving God's grace, like his real grace changes how we actually live our lives moving forward. Biblical grace turns out is a powerful motivator to live in a way that honors God. So we talked about this, the dutiful person, you know, the older brother, and we talked about the prodigal. And the truth is, no matter which one you feel like you are or some combination, the truth is what God wants for all of us is for us to move into this, this free, authentic relationship with him. That, our, that, our, that the way we live our lives is not out of duty, like the older brother. It's not out of guilt and shame, like the prodigal. But it's out of freedom. Like that we understand the grace of God and how it practically works in our lives. And, and so then our, our response to God, our response, our obedient response to God, the way we live our lives, is something that we do because 
we are so motivated by the gift that he gave us and continues to give us. Like that becomes the motivation for us. And this is something that I pray for with my kids. We talk about this, actually, is because my kids are dutiful, just like I'm dutiful. And so they're dutiful kids, and I praise God for that. But what I want to see in them, and I still want to see this in my life, is that the, the, the reason we're obedient is more just, it's organic. It's not, it's not just out of duty. It's because we're so grateful for this relationship that we have with God. We're so grateful for his grace. It's just such a gift. And so, so we're not doing it out of guilt and shame, but we're also not doing it purely out of duty. We're doing it because, because we love him. And we have a relationship with him. This makes sense if you're married. What, how would you rather your spouse honor you out of a, just a pure sense of moral obligation and duty? Or would you rather have your spouse honor you and serve you and love you because of their relationship with you? Of course you would rather it be that. You'll take the duty thing if you have no other options. But you want them to do it because you love them and because you have this, this free, authentic relationship with your spouse. I want my kids to be obedient to me. Of course I do. Of course I want them to be obedient to me. But I'd rather that they be obedient out of a genuine desire in their heart, out of love and gratitude and relationship with me, than just out of a, a pure sense of obligation or duty. And this is what God wants for us as well. Titus 2, let's just finish with a couple more scriptures. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared. And it, here's what God's grace does for us. His grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Isn't that interesting? His grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Not duty, not shame, not guilt. His grace. His grace motivates us. The gift of God, the gift that, that helped us to start a relationship with God and the gift that, that helps me to live every single day this new kind of life, this new creation that he's made me. His grace teaches me to say no to ungodliness. It's his grace that teaches me to say no to worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. It's his grace that teaches me that. It's not my works. And one more, one more verse, and we'll finish with this. I love this. And this is from 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And the, the word I want you to underline there is grow. Grow in grace. Grace is not some static, one-time thing that got us started in a relationship with God. Grace is something that goes with us for the rest of our lives. Grace is gift. And I know it's paradoxical, but that's the truth. And I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I, I'm, again, I, I confess that I'm still struggling with this, I'm going to encourage you to grow in the grace of God. Pray to God, give me an understanding, a new, fresh understanding of your grace and how it impacts my life. Let's pray together now. Lord, I praise you for your grace. I thank you for your grace, for this unmerited, undeserved favor. This grace that, that I encountered as a young boy 
And maybe some people in here have that same story. There might be some in here who encountered that grace for the first time last week or last year. Thank you for your grace that got us started. And thank you for your grace that sustains us. Thank you that that you don't wait for us to be obedient to love us. Thank you, Lord God, that you don't expect us to be perfect. But God, that your grace goes with us and every single day, God, we have an opportunity to step up and honor you with every new choice and every new thought and every new habit. But God, that even even all of that is still a gift from you. Thank you for gifting that to me. And God, I pray that you would help me to understand it even more as I continue to work this out in my own life. For every one of us, Lord Jesus, I pray that our response to you would be a response of love based on your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.